This is the Girly Men Podcast. My name is Mike Gurley, and I am the host and founder of girlymen.com, a site for gay men and anyone self-identified as the other, designed to help you invest in your own dignity, strengthen your connection with your chosen families, and thrive in general society. And now that you found us, please hit that subscribe button. Today is a very special Hey Girly episode. The Hey Girly episodes are designed to be a Ask Anything Q&A between me and you, the listener. And I'll normally be doing these with the help of my Girly Men podcast family, uh, the production family of Garrett and Leslie. Um, but on this special Father's Day edition, the Hey Girly will be my dad and I both asking each other questions and answering each other's questions. So it's going to go both ways. My dad answers questions about what it was like to be a Mormon father with a gay son. And I answer questions about what it was like to be a gay man and a gay young man uh, with a Mormon father. I'm 55. My dad is in his late 70s, and we have been through a lot together. This was an intensely emotional interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Now on to the interview. The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other. So you know oppression, inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey. And that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection. Welcome home, brother. So, this is a very special Father's Day episode of the Girly Men podcast. My name is Mike Gurley, and I am here with Roger William Gurley, otherwise known as Bill, always known to me as Dad. And Dad's in Missouri, in Kearney, right up outside of Kansas City. Thanks for being here, Dad. You bet, Mike. It's good to be with you. Always good to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel the same way now. I just, it, I, I really do. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things, but I'd like to talk sure. about where we are now. And um, I don't know how to put all this into context other than from the outside, you know, you're, you're a Mormon dad, you know, in yep. his seventies and I'm uh, a gay son in my 50s, and uh, we've been through a lot. We have. But, but right now, I just got to say, I have never felt more supported or loved than I do now. And I'm grateful that I recognize that and um, that I know that you always did your best. I know that you're always now doing your best. Looking back on my life um, with all my therapy and my other types of things, I've seen that you've always been there for me. You've always shown up and loved me. And I reacted as a teenager sometimes. And those are some of my regrets. And we'll get into regrets later. But I just want to tell you that I couldn't be happier with the relationship I have with you that I do now. Me too, Mike. We've had, we've recently, a few years, we've developed and and strengthened and grown closer and shared many wonderful things together. Yeah. And I'll just get to the crux of it too. I think um, sure. the, you know, your health scare, what was that a couple of years ago with the lungs? Yep, um, 2016, they had to remove a rib. 
take out a lung and scrape it out and put it back in. And so that, uh, you know, that was scary for all of us. We, we don't have a forever warranty. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the upside of that is I think I was able just to, uh, drop what was left of my uh, resistance, uh, to, uh, being fully open to you and see that you have been fully open to me for quite a while. And uh, I just want to recognize that because it wasn't always that way. <laughs> well, you know, I was just thinking when you were younger and we had an inkling that this might be the case, that you might be gay. At that time, at that age, at that age of my life, I think I looked at it as probably a lot of men do. They look at it as something they can fix, something they can change. And for you to move from that type of a thing as a, a father through something you can change, something you could fix to a supportive, loving, caring position. Um, it, it's a journey too for the dads. Mm. And, and, it, and it was for me because as a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I've never been taught to hate or there's never anything like that in any of our lessons about being unkind to anyone. Uh, anytime I was unkind or do, doing those things, I'm, that was kind of on me. And so uh, I had to, had to learn. And that took some while. It took a while. You know, this has been a journey from when you were young and this first come about. Yeah, it, it, it has been a journey. How old uh, were you and how old were I? I mean, would you say that when that was happening? Probably mm -hmm. about the time you were 14 or so. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you went to, did different things, went off and worked in a, the um, pineapple fields for yeah. six months. Yeah, um, that was a whole learning experience. And it, and it does make a big uh, demarcation in my um, life, my gay life. I mean, I don't know if uh, you knew, but, you know, before I'd left, I'd, I'd met uh, a guy and um, we wrote letters back and forth when I was in Hawaii picking pineapples. And I um, was started a letter to him or something like that and left it like out in the open. And that's where mom saw it. And that's kind of how the coming out happened in Cheyenne. Yeah. And that was really hard for all of us. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I, at that point, Dad, I, I wanted to change, you know. I, I really valued so much about the church. Um, I, I still um, respect. I've gotten so much from the church. And um, it, it was hard for to not to be able to fit in that way. And, um, you know, it was during that year that, you know, I thought maybe it would be better to be, be dead, you know. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. It, it, it was a hard year. And, um, but I know that you as a man were, you've always been trying to do the right thing. You've always wanted the best for your family and for your community and uh, for yourself. So I'm wondering, what was it like then? It must have been really painful for you. Well, it comes from realizing that you think you have control of things to realizing you really don't. The only life you get to control is your own. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it takes a long time to really accept that. And you can't change other people. Now, if somebody's being threatening to you, then you need to distance yourself from them and protect yourself. If somebody does something different from you, such as a, the, the gay lifestyle, I found out that 
uh, it's wonderful being involved with you and with your friends when we're able to come and visit. It, it uh, adds a whole quality in my life mm-hmm. and, and moms too. We, we had so much fun. That first time we was playing Monopoly <laughs> with that cards, that was just a hoot. Those guys, are yeah, more yeah. Fun. I, I do want to talk about you, um, and that's you're talking about those guys are my family out here, Dad. Um, I know, but I, what you're talking about here is really important, and this podcast is for men. You know, it's mostly for gay men, but it's these guys are men, and even though we're gay, we have all the we take on a lot of that stuff about what it's like to be a man. And I think you were talking about that right there when you were saying, yeah. I think men are taught, you know, to be a real man, you have to be in control of everything in your life. You know? Yep. That's, and, uh, that's the way it appeared. My dad was in control and he never made any mistakes. I, <laughs> I, and I felt that was, he was a hard charger and he made it, he, you didn't know him. He died before you were born. Yeah. And, um, but that's that's the way I felt about him. Later on, I realized that he was vulnerable. He had his situations in his life that he had no control over, and you know he was he was a kinder person that that appeared to me when he was alive. Hmm. Well, and then so on your own, what was that epiphany like that you can't control other people? Um, it sounds like that was actually a, a, a source of strength, maybe. Or oh, not? Absolutely. Am I getting it wrong? You know? No, it, it is a strength because with the knowledge, sure knowledge that you don't have control of other people, comes the knowledge that you've got control of the love you share, the kindness you are, the way you accept others. And by realizing that and focusing on that, it just gives you a richer life. I don't have to look back. I remember more than once, we went to a meeting with you there in LA once, and I, I just felt for those young men in that meeting that were having the, the trials in their lives and their inability to speak with their parents. If I could have changed that, I would have. I just felt so sad for them, and I still feel that way. One thing I realize now is that you have a huge huge heart dad and that's easy to say from here in in california and people are like oh yeah all these men have feelings but you'd come home from working on the railroad in nebraska and wyoming and idaho um i always remember you know we always had to remember trying to shake your hand and seeing if i could you know smash it you're such a strong (laughs) literally strong version of like you know the the um pinnacle of masculinity and all that but you also always you you hugged us and you told us that you loved us me and rick and kandra and i want to thank you for that because all the work i've been doing with these other guys i hear that so many of these guys didn't hear that from their fathers and i want you to thank you that is sad yeah well they they can't control their fathers, but they can reach out to them in love and kindness. Now, they can't control what their fathers do, but their fathers, they'll, they'll feel of that spirit if they do reach out to them, I think. And that's the lesson I want to say to my brothers, uh, my gay brothers out there listening to this, is that it goes both ways. There was a period of three years that we didn't talk much. I think that's it was right. like, and um, that ended uh for two reasons at the same time well i think i was 
wringing my hands because it was you and mom's 40th wedding anniversary. And I was talking to my friends out here about it. And I'm like listing all the reasons how you could have been better parents. And I forget which friend of mine, though, told me, when are you going to accept their lifestyle, Mike? And that hit me like a brick in the forehead that I needed to accept the life that brings you joy. And that made it easy. It made it easy to book a ticket and show up. And that was um, awesome. Well, and, and you weren't having your party just anywhere. You were having it, you know, which is really normal for Mormons in the Mormon uh, facilities. <laughs> At the Mormon yep. church. And that was the first time I'd been in one for a long time. And uh, so pulling into that parking lot, empty parking lot to help you and mom da- set up, it was a surprise for you guys, was the emotion inside of me was was still trepidatious. But then the look on both of your faces of just love and you just hugged me and you kept asking me who I was dating because I made a big stink about you don't ask, ever ask me that. Um <laughs> And I don't know if you knew at the time, I wasn't dating anybody. My dating life was a mess and I didn't want anybody asking me about it. Yeah. I <laughs> I was like, Can we just go back to the old way? If you're not asking about it, it's a whole mess right now. <laughs> um, I felt it. It's there and it's been there ever since. I mean, how do you, how do you reconcile your devotion to the church and uh, the word and all that and, and your obvious demonstrative love for me. Wow. I, I, I love the church. I love the doctrine. I love the principles. Now, does that mean everybody is going to live those principles? No. Our church has built, built a temple in East Germany when there, it was communism. Our church is building a temple in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and it, that is a very pleasant place. They're building one in, in all areas of the world even though many of the people there would do us harm. But as those temples go in, we find, and our, and our people become more focused on the Savior, placing the Savior more in their life, then they end up with more peace in their heart, and the people feel more kindness for them. And as we share the Savior's love, it, it changes lives. It changes hearts. It changes the individual's the the members as well as the non-members it says what i'm hearing dad is that that's a it's a message of love absolutely i think that's what's confusing to the people i meet out here who've never actually been in a religion they'll hear the politicized version of religion and uh very often that is just divorced from all of those teachings that you just mentioned yep that's true that's true well and you know, I'm finding any more, I don't care who you're talking about. Uh, if, if you're taking any group, any other individual in a bad light, you know, I have a little trouble with uh, Republicans, but <laughs> 80% of the church are Republicans. So I've learned to reach out in kindness and, and, and it's uh, made a difference. I have many friends that are every once in a while uh, when politics comes up, then we divert paths and we become, if we are going to become political, that's kind of when the love ends and the arguments begin. And so (laughs) (laughs) there's a difference there for sure. And I I know that I have to just uh, focus on people in their lives and what's good for them and kindness. Yeah. And I hear that it's coming from, from love. And I've always known that. And that's one of the 
why it was so difficult for me to come out to to in some ways you know betray not just the church's teachings but the teachings of my father well mike i don't really think you were betraying anything i think you were living the life that you've been given and and as you should as everyone should but they need to do it in kindness and love and you can't do that from a point of criticism or a point of changing some you cannot take it upon yourself to change anyone else's view other than your own. But you can be very strong and forceful when when you have a change of heart, when you have a change to sharing the Savior's love and kindness with everyone you meet. Be part become part of their lives and become you know, gosh, your community there is uh, is a very you know, you hear people talk about and I'll do what I say, not what I do. Well in your community <laughs> there it's I, I I recognize there's so much more doing what people should be done. Uh, well, when you, the different places we've gone with you has been just an example of that. Well, thank you. And I have found family out here. I found a spiritual center, you know, and those places that we visited, I, I'm just remembering now was like way back when you went to what was called then the, the Louise Hay ride. It was Louise Hay. She wrote a book called Love Yourself, Heal Your Life. It was in the West Hollywood Park Auditorium. Yep. It usually had, I was more than a hundred people there and she would teach us about loving ourselves and we would, it was a support group for people with AIDS. And and you came to that, and it was really support. I mean, the group itself was was magical for me, but to have you there was was great too. And then recently, on top of everything else, I drug you to in the Los Angeles area. You know, all the normal touristy things. We took you to the. We got a tour of the L.A. Uh, LGBT Center, and I just wanted to let the people know that. And that does give me a lot of pride to know that the community is doing that. I usually within my own community will judge, you know, they could do more of this or less of that, you know, like we always do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but to see it through your eyes that it was, uh, you oh, saw that was the, awesome. you saw the social service part of it and the caring part. And that helped me see that all that was happening too. So that's really great. When so, we visited that center to see those people and see how involved they were. I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't just folks sitting around doing nothing. They were involved in what they were doing, uh, whether it was when, when they were being trained as chefs or whatever the task was, whether it be an empl- uh, somebody that was an employee or a participant, they seemed to be positively involved and growing from the experience. And, and that's what, it's, that's what the, uh, for me, I call that the Savior's love. And you, you feel that love when you're in that facility uh, by the kindness shown by the the staff and the and the participants. Yeah, that that's the stuff that um, I I grew up. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought Jesus was about. So uh, that's all. That's what it's about. Yes, sir. So let's get into some of these other, these more tougher questions. Let's talk about sure. regrets, and we can both talk about them. I wrote you a letter. Um, I think it was a very comprehensive letter telling you about all the horrible things that you had done as a father, including the way you'd held money and, and stuff like that. I was frustrated about money and stuff. And I know it had more in there than that. But what I remember is my the permission I gave myself to let go and to just like really lay into you. 
<laughs> yeah. And I felt justified and I did that, but it wasn't until, um, I'll let you know that Kendra, my sister, your daughter told me she was a little put off with me, um, for the effect <laughs> that letter had on you. And I think it was the first time in my very new adult life. I think I was in my very early twenties, um, that I saw you as a man like as a person, as opposed to like this big solid block of authority. And it was the first time I realized I may have hurt your feelings, that you had feelings. And and I feel bad about that. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I remember your letter and I, you know, there are things I wish I could, we could, I could have changed. Going back to when you was real little, I wish I'd have spent more time with you when you were doing homework, I could have showed you more uh, how to overcome challenges, but uh, I wasn't taught that either. And I didn't do that. Nobody did that with me. And I didn't learn that. I had to learn that off on my own, kind of like you did. You had to learn how to overcome things on your own. And that's usually a, a difficult process. And uh, whatever, whatever it might be in your life, it's a challenge. Uh, but uh, to learn to be a nicer, better person is is definitely a difficult challenge sometimes when you do just want to complain or lash out or say somebody else should have done that. I felt bad for you because you couldn't realize your dreams at the time. And I knew that I could not, uh, I, I wished you well, but I could not do, I financially uh, afford to support those things. So I guess becoming financially separate as adults is a tough process, no matter when it occurs. Yeah, it was. And uh, do you have any regrets you'd want to? Yeah, I regret, like I said, is not spending more time being with you, dealing specifically of upon your needs, uh, whether it be in school or whatever. We we did. Mom and I both went to your uh, musical things and your when you was in Blackwatch, we went to those things. But I, I'm I'm just thinking I could have got more involved in your your school processes. And that would give you a better base then to become an adult. Well, I, I understand that you gave me everything that you knew on that. What about the the gay thing? Is there anything that you regret or? Well, I probably I think I regret that I couldn't have been, I could have been a lot more forthcoming when we, when we were drawing apart. I could have helped reduce that distance when we were drawing apart because of the financial issues. I still could have reached out to you. And I think that would have helped you. And I should have done that. That's one of my regrets. And, you know, life is life is full of regrets. And it seems like the regret, regrets always seem to be things that we didn't do. So I, I would judge that as, as, a, as a good thing in our case. I mean, so many parents who find out their kids are gay kick them out of the house. 40% of the homeless in Los Angeles uh, youth are, are gay kids. When gay kids are really only 6 to 10% of the population, 40% of kids on the street in Los Angeles are, are gay because they've been kicked out. Uh, you didn't participate in that type of behavior. You always handled it with dignity. You gave me dignity and love, even if I didn't see it. Um, I was never uh, oppressed by you individually. Part of that time when we were apart, 
the church was doing was helping out here with a proposition that I didn't uh, that would keep gay people from being able to get married. Yeah, I think that was um, a time that was church members. The, the church oh, okay. whole that was church members out there. That wasn't didn't come out as a church position and, and go across the country. That was a California members position there. Okay, that's an important so distinction to, to, to be clear. Uh, that wasn't the, the, we didn't, they didn't talk, speak about that in our congregations. And that was uh, individuals acting, acting on their own and acting and speaking out as if it were for the church. And the church didn't come down on them because the church lets things run their course. And they usually resolve themselves once they run their course. Now, by that same act, like a, a friend of mine told me, well, that was, he was a member of the church. He lived in California, and he felt like that was the right thing to do. And I, and after the thing played out, their act actually brought it to the Supreme Court <laughs> and ended up that the gays could be married. So what they had done was, in fact, <laughs> made it possible for gays to be married. Now, it might not, that was not their, their intent. But that was the, the result of their actions. <laughs> yeah. Did, did I state that correctly? Um, I, I think so. I, yeah, okay. absolutely. I had not put all that together. I, the, the, the whole thing about that getting us to being able to get married is blowing my mind. Everybody would like life to be black and white, but life is nuanced. Mm, and yeah, what, that's in a very important nuance that it wasn't coming from the top down this whole thing about Mormons were supporting Prop 8, but the Mormon church itself uh, was not supporting the Prop 8 thing, is what I'm hearing. Very different perspective. And all of us need to realize that when, you know... Right. Oh, I hate to like like when one member of any group um, or or a small collection of any group does something, it doesn't mean that the whole group is doing it. That's true. Like when the gays were breaking windows in uh, some uh, buildings in uh, San Francisco, it doesn't mean that all gays felt that way. True. Um, Now, I I want to add one other thing to that. After you and Garrett got married and mom and I came out and I said a prayer at your wedding. I had an interview with a member of my state presidency, not over that. I I can't remember just what it was, uh, uh, another reason that him and I got together and had this interview. But I told him that I had said a prayer during your, uh, you guys' wedding, and I wanted to know if that was going to be a problem. And he just said no, and he went on to other business. It was <laughs> that. that isn't going to be a problem. I think everybody realizes you need, you need to come from a position of love and kindness. That doesn't mean that I I have a family member that smokes, and I seen my father die of emphysema. I, do I wish that would be different? Yeah, but it's probably not going to be. You know, I can't change things, and I'm not going to hound them over it. I'm not going to, like I said, the church has, you know, I have tons of friends that smoke, drink, do all kinds of things, but they're my friends. I have friends that are Baptist and Catholic across a a spectrum of religions. And even though we differ in our religious doctrine and views, 
I still love and care for them and they know that. And that's amazing. You are uh, living, that's a living example of, you're finding the intersection of identities, like um, in a Venn diagram, it's like when two circles overlap, you're, it sounds like you're interested in that area <laughs> where, 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 where we overlap. Let's talk about the transition between, you know, I think that we go through these levels of uh, people who are oppressed, go through levels from oppression to celebration and there's oppression and then there's seeking tolerance and then there's getting to acceptance. I would love to hear about your transition from being, I guess, from tolerance to acceptance. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it would be, for me, it would be from the point where we weren't talking until the point that we really were. Yeah, I think that was the point of transition there. So what, it was what, serious. We were not communicating. We were not communicating well at all. And so that gave me a while to reflect on just what is really of value. And what is really of value to me is your love and, and being part of your life. I want to be part of your life. I want to share time with you. And that has blessed my life by having that desire and making that transition. Seeing you come to our 40th wedding anniversary and pop out of the Kendra's car was just awesome. That was a, a life-changing moment for sure. Any reluctance or uh, anything uh, after that, it wasn't ever there. It, not even for a moment. Okay? So I just want you to know that that made a world of difference. And that was the transition. Well... <laughs> Um, that, that was the act that happened. Uh, what was, um, what happened internally for you? Was there ever just, I guess you said there was a moment when you saw me, but it oh, sounds like you prepared, you had prepared yourself before that moment. Well, I had, well, I came and seen you in LA. Do you remember? And I gave you a hug and we left each other at that point. I can't say that I, we, we parted on the best grounds, you know, we just didn't. And I don't know what there was about it, why it wasn't, or what. I know that uh, me not supporting you financially through that time, but I wasn't support, supporting you emotionally either. And so I, I knew it that after, after I, well, my drive back to my hotel out in East L.A., that was a ways out. Uh, it took a little while and allowed me to reflect quite a bit. And um, that and, and other times then to uh, help, help motivate, me, motivate me to understand that I need to be caring and kind. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that. I, I remember that, that you met with me and John Nieto, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. For me, it was, um, and I think this is really important. Listen up, brothers. <laughs> Well, I preach for a second. I was comfortable. I had finally found my independence. You know, yeah. I'm, pay I'm paying my own bills. I have my own friends. I, I feel safe physically and secure. And I've got love. And I've completely had isolated myself from my entire upbringing and, and all of that. And I felt comfortable there. And I think that is a step in the right direction. I needed a friend to look me in the face and tell me that I was part of the problem, that I was not accepting my parents where they were at. They had probably heard stories like that. It's like, 
you guys had been out here how many times when all these other people, parents had never, ever visited them. And I need to make a shift. I had to take a risk and take off my armor of independence and uh, step into the arena of, of needing the love of my family, needing the love of my father. And um, when I did that, you responded in the best way in the, you know, um, everything that you were talking about at the beginning of this interview, all that love and caring and, and all that, all I could see, all I felt was you blessing my goodness, my good traits. That's what got me from tolerating uh, <laughs> you and the church to fully accepting that. And um, there's been a lot to learn from that. And uh, my life was fuller from it. I don't know. Does that make sense? What I was... It does. It does. Because you were in a position where you had yourself protected. You had your love and kindness around you. You knew your health was being starting to be, it was being addressed. All, uh, many of the issues in your life was being addressed. But our relationship required that you become vulnerable again. And mine did too. We have to do that. Uh, sooner or later, a person with their loved ones, you need to be vulnerable by opening yourself up to them. And you don't have to, nobody needs to get a hold of their father and say, and work on them over the things that did. Uh, because think of the things that brought joy into your life. There's There are many things that did, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and so we need to focus on the joy and happiness in our in our lives. And that's that's what's really important. It isn't the the angry moments that you know, because it, it just don't work. Uh, my dad had a very terrible temper, and I think then I learned how to control my temper by dealing with him. Mm. And I think that helped me, and it helped him too. Then to deal with me, I think we need to learn how to deal with each of our uh, loved ones. That doesn't mean we become vulnerable to them where they're hurting us. That means, though, that we can reach out and reach out with strength, strength given to us uh, and kindness and love. Well, it's, (laughs) you just, I was so proud of you, Dad. I mean, just talking about love as being a a strength. I mean, that's just not in the airwaves this day, today. That's right. That's right. We we hear all these things on the news and stuff, and you think, goodness sakes, what a mess, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, it's all about domination and power and all these things. And um, w- when it came to us, it is love on both sides uh, brought right. us back together. So the next question sure, would be about what are the learnings that we got from each other? Meaning, what did I learn from you and what did you learn from me? I, I'll, I'll answer the question saying, you know, what did I learn by being raised by a dad who converted to being uh, LDS? And you can answer the question, you know, what, okay. <clears throat> what did you learn from having a gay son? Um, okay. Do you want to go first or do, would you like to hear from me? Or I, I can, I can t- talk about what I've learned from having a gay son. Okay. I, you know, here not long ago, you know, I, I've been very proud of you over your, your getting in employment there with the city of West Hollywood and hanging tough with them to good and bad. And, uh, I'm even proud of you when the, 
at, at the end of that, when you left, it was not unlike me being fired from a TV station in Kearney, Nebraska for union organization. You know, <laughs> we were standing up for different values. Uh, so I think there's a, there's been a correlation in our life when I reflect. Um, and I really enjoyed getting to know your friends, being able to go to the, uh, with your friends to like the magic castle and, and have an interaction over, over a dinner, a time where you get to know and talk to people. You can't do that by just casually uh, uh, meeting somebody. You have to be with them. And mm-hmm. um, that, that uh, has been fun every time we've done it uh, to the times when we played games, <laughs> watching your friends interact, playing Monopoly was more fun than I could even ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> They're very competitive, my friends. They were they were very competitive, and they were each other pretty good. Oh, it was a hoot. So that was fun. And, uh, boy, I belong to uh, Amateur Radio Emergency Services here in Clay County. And so emergency services are something that I uh, really enjoy learning about. And to see how uh, the city of Los Angeles is so proactive, you know, or earthquakes, uh, having Mm -hmm. dentists show us uh, city halls, uh, shock absorbers, and to yeah, take us on a on a grand tour of your EOC emergency operations center. And that's open right now. Yeah, it's been yeah. activated. Wow, that's cool. That uh, it's it was, you know, getting to know your friends, people. They're friends of mine, and I consider them not just friends, but good friends. And that it, 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 my life has changed because of having that that association. Mm-hmm. And how does it change? I mean, knowing just it's not conceptual, this whole idea. Well, you've seen my gay lifestyle, which yeah. is gay guys playing cards and gay guys going to dinner. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you, you, you do special things that are that that you go off and do in, you know, in sacred secrecy and I do some other things too with my, my groups that aren't, aren't sure. appropriate for the rest of the world to see. Um, right. but we, we, we share, I mean, our, our, our lifestyle, um, right. Outside of that is, is about love and caring for each other. Yes, it is. And it's, it, that's how my life changed though, by, by getting to know and participate with, uh, uh be able to do things with your friends and see how they reacted in, you know, when things where they work, where they, you know, the things they found important that, uh, uh, that center we went through was, was just awesome. And if anybody says anything to me about Los Angeles and about the unkindness and that I, I talked to them about how the city's trying desperately to take care of their homeless problem, you know, and they're really working on it. Mm-hmm. Here in Kansas City, we've given all the homeless a corner to beg on, and that's about the only thing we've done for them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I just like the the really activism that goes on there with you and your friends of all the California people. I did an interview on uh, an NPR affiliate called uh, I think Strangers was the name of her uh, her 
podcast and she interviewed me about being a leather guy, being in an alternative lifestyle relationship. And it was this big, long interview. It was two different settings. And after it was all edited at the end, she played this clip where I realized I had become my father. <laughs> I, had, I um, was with a, you know, a group of, of people. This was the leather community that we had um, uh, set down some values that were important to us. We uh, wore specific clothing at these secret events <laughs> and performed uh, rituals and things. And, and they made us all feel tighter as a community and made me feel better as a person. And Mormons now are all just, you know, like everybody, they have one, one wife, one husband, but you know, they know something about alternative lifestyles, uh, in that regard. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, that's the thing that everybody remembers about Mormons. I was like, I totally had become my, my father. And that made me think that, that what I had learned from growing up with you and the church and Boy Scouts, I got to say, had a huge impact on me about the joy of, of learning, about the joy of being a boy. You provided a, a learning environment that was built for me, you know, all those like knots and merit badges and stuff. It just, just made my heart sing. And then the church made me feel what it was like to be with like-minded people doing uh, something that was higher, more important than myself, being something, uh, part of something that was greater than myself and having um, this connection with, with God. And that was really important and it, and it stuck with me and I have the yearning for that. And so that's the reason I've, I've produced things. It's why I'm doing this podcast. I just know that it's, it's in me to stand up and say, these are things I believe and whoever wants to participate in love and who wants to participate in authenticity and brotherhood and being honest about who you really are, follow me. I, I learned that by being in the church. And mm -hmm. um, from you, what I learned is being true to my values. Brene Brown wrote a whole book called Braving the Wilderness. And the short answer to what that means is it's you, dad. Uh, she talks about being a liberal in Texas that taught her son how to use a gun, you know, and so she's not making anybody happy. Um, <laughs> she's, you know, all her, her, her liberal friends are like, guns are bad. Why are you a member of the NRA and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, look, I think guns are killing a lot of people and they're dangerous, but I also know I live in Texas and I know that my son is going to see a gun. And when he does, I want him to know exactly how to use it and him for him to know that it's a tool and that it's dangerous. But True. That's All an of example of like living in the wilderness because she's not making the NRA people happy. She's not making her liberal friends happy. She's in the middle saying, this is what's right for my own values. And this is what's right for my son. And uh, you do that too all the time. You you uphold the values and and teachings of the church, but you also uh, d you know decide to express the love in probably a different way. Certainly in a different political party than most of the people. And you brave the wilderness of of being out there um, with your own values. You are your own person, 
and you're still connected to ideas that are bigger than yourself. And that's what I've learned from being your son. And that's what I've learned from growing up in the LDS church. Well, thank you for all those comments, for sure. We do learn and pick up uh, value from all those we're in associations with. Uh, I, I grew up in a community that was very diversified. I think those different things helped shape my life. You know, when I hear about how bad somebody is and they're going to complain about, I don't care whether it's France or China today, you hear from the far right how bad they are and what have you. Well, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> that, kind of, that sets me off a little bit. So, um, I, I was going to ask you about that. So, um, you know, I don't remember seeing very many non-white people growing up. And I had always wondered how you had gotten this. You were even correcting uh, Grandma Gurley, and I, I think yep. she was a sweetheart. She was not. She was an awesome person, but she she was would she use some... once she used the N word in the car, and you were just <laughs> she was just describing somebody. She said, <laughs> yes, and you were was. letting her know. I mean, at the best, you know, with humor and but but with solidly telling her, it's like mother. That's just you don't use that word anymore. That's it. Where, where did you come it. up with that? That's like the, you know. Like I said, I grew up with all these different people. Now, you got to, she grew up, her uncle Ike that and his uh, wife Genevieve were very wonderful people. I met Genevieve. I never met Uncle Ike. And Uncle Ike was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, so wow. we, we've come from, Mike, with family that's members of the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> to where we are today. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he probably wouldn't care too much for this interview. I don't think. No, he probably wouldn't care for this interview at all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That. thank you. That's a big arc. That's just three generations. Yep, um, it is. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about advice for a second. Okay. If you can give some advice to fathers in your particular situation whose faith is dear and important and relevant and um and they might have a gay son or daughter w what advice would you have if he had that man um sitting at that table with you well my advice to him if he had a gay son is uh continually reach out to him in love that means really caring for him really uh being able to feel his feelings, be part of those feelings and let him know that you love him and care for him. And you need to do it more often than, than, like I said, when we had our little estrangement that went on for a period of time, I guess maybe we needed that time to resolve. And I, but I feel in that first hayride thing, I went and I felt the pain of those young men there. And mm. if I could do anything to relieve that pain, or during uh, you and Garrett's wedding, I talked to another young man, and I, I could tell that um, the, this young man had kind of like, I felt like he, it was a, a mistrust to me. He felt like maybe I wasn't sincere. And I understand where that comes from, from being marginalized by someone else. So what I tell dads, reach out to your son in love and kindness. You don't have to make any changes except be kind to them and share your love and share the things in your life that are important 
You know, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is very important to me. Mm-hmm. The Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, is very important to me. And, and um, I'm very thankful to be part of that. And But that doesn't preclude me from not loving, caring, and wanting to be with you and wanting to be with your friends. Uh, dads, you, you need to be part of those things. Go someplace with your son. Do something. I'm saying be involved with your sons, you know, or your daughters. Be involved with them. Care for them. That doesn't mean you, you have to, you're, you're going to change their lives because you're not. Mm. But you can definitely change your life by feeling of the love that's there if you'll just accept it. That's it. Well, that, that's, that's, I judge that that's like the ultimate love. That's, that's, a, that's big. It is. So thank you. So I guess it's it's my turn. Um, advice <laughs> I would give to guys, gay guys, or the lesbians out there, any of my queer friends, anybody, uh, LGBTQIA, the whole uh, spectrum. If you have a, a dad like mine in any regard, you know, like you even said, dad, um, yeah, you guys need to you need to look out for yourself. You need to protect yourself. You need to make an honest assessment about you know wh- what's going on with your life. Are are you safe there? Can you grow there? Can you have dignity there? And if you can't, you need to um, separate yourself. And you may have to do what I did. What I did was I got myself as independent as possible with my own job, my own living, my own friends, and all of that. My advice is to uh, reach out. Love your parents as if they are treating you the way that you want to be treated. And I'll take something that you just said, Dad, and and just leave it at that. See what they do with it. I think more often than not, especially straight men in this country need permission to feel. Straight men in this country, uh, all men, including you, gay men, you may think you're super gay and you're like, uh, I don't have all that baggage, but you do. You need to open your heart and love your father. You need to open your heart and um, and feel what he's feeling. And then when the love is coming back, you need to recognize it uh, and bless it, and it, it will grow. And if it doesn't, hang on to your brothers, your chosen family. That can be your family. That can be your whole family. I saw that in, in full full force uh, when I was uh, during AIDS. Some families never came around even when they died, even when they're put in the ground and your chosen family is important and you need to invest in them. If you're lucky enough to have your biological family open their arms to you, that is a a resource, that is a a well that is so deep um, that it must be tapped into. And that's my advice for the gay men in my life. How has this experience uh, strengthened your bond? You know. Strengthen mine and your bond? Yeah. Ooh, gee. I'm continually excited when I hear hear from you. It strengthened it the, from where we're. I'm excited when you and Dennis are going to come out here this uh, summer and spend time with us and relax, bobbing around the lake or doing whatever we do. We're going to have fun. We're going to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sharing your life with you is how, how it's evolved for me. I guess you could call it acceptance. I don't know what you call it. I call it uh, love and kindness. 
if we are not coming from a position of love and kindness, we're coming from a position where we'll hurt ourselves and others. That's just the bottom line. Mm. Yeah, I think this has helped strengthen our bond in the fact that if I weren't gay, I'm sure that I would be married and have a lot of kids and we'd be heavily invested in the church and that would be lovely, I'm sure. Um, I don't know if I would be as, if you would know me as deeply. I don't know if it would force me to open up to you and show you my pain and and all that reality. And I feel like this has forced us to uh, be very, very authentic and real. And I And I know that I'm all of me is being uh, accepted and loved. And uh, we wouldn't have that bond. I am very proud um, to have the last name Gurley and to have the Gurley Men podcast and to be your son. I'm still shocked because I just remember that raging teenager, uh, early 20-something <laughs> person in my head that I'm saying that. Um, and... I don't have words for the the gratitude I have for you uh, sharing yourself, just personally um, sharing even your authority as um, by giving a prayer at my uh, wedding and just being open and vulnerable and showing me that you're really doing everything that you can to make me feel loved. And, and I want you to know that I feel it, Dad. Well, thank you, Mike. And I love you a bunch. And tell Dennis hi and give him a hug for me. And- Tell him I'm going to ask him a whole bunch of questions when we get together. (laughs) (laughs) He could be able to do some political things. So, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and your other friends, too. Your friends that shared times playing games with us, uh, doing things with us. That's that's special. Yeah. Aaron and David are ready for a rematch anytime. They are just a hoot. They're more fun. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll give you an extra early happy Father's Day uh, since this will be coming out uh, right before Father's Day. Okay, doke. Well, love you a bunch. Love you too. Tell mom I love her. I will. (laughs) She's she's over here. Mike says he loves you. She loves you too. (laughs) I know. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dad. Um, Okay. Take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that, brothers, was Bill Gurley and Mike Gurley, a father and son sharing our truths, having the strength to be vulnerable and having the courage to choose love and kindness over being right. This interview humbles me with gratitude for my father, a man I vilified as a teenager and young adult who has become one of the greatest sources of strength and inspiration in my life today. I could not be more proud to call myself Gurley. Until next time, this is Mike Gurley and the Gurley Men Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Gurley Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation, because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at girlymen. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. 
we just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlyman.com. Until next time. <laughs>